Tonight on This Is Final Tap, there's dewdrops on the windowsill, a lazy old tomcat on a midnight spree, and we've got something better than a swimming pool. Now the sun's coming up. I'm riding with lady. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the newest episode of This is Vinyl Tap. Uh, As you can probably tell, uh, tonight, I am your host for the evening, Tony Slagle. And as always, I'm joined by... Our other host, co-host, Doug Cooper. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Miles Davis or? Uh, yeah. Cookie Monster. Uh, yeah. uh, and then uh, I'm also we're also joined tonight, as always, by our very humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Happy New Year, Tapsters. So tonight we're going to be talking about the debut album by Tom Waits, Closing Time. This was released in March 1973. And as always, we always go to the person who picked the album and ask them why they picked this album. And tonight is a Doug pick. So, Doug, why did you pick this album? I would love to answer that question for you, too. But before we do that, let's play an episode of Connections. This is where we try to connect this album to albums we've already listened or covered before. Um, Guys, how many can you think of without prompting? How is this album and artist similar to those we've covered already? I think we've covered 54 to date, maybe a little bit more. Can can you tell me any connections that you see with Tom Waits at closing time? Well, there's the easy one, which is he's on Asylum, which is also the uh, label that Jackson Brown is on. That's right. And... Uh, the Eagles recorded one of his songs. Although. That's right. The Eagles made money for both Jackson Brown and ah, that's true. Tom Waits. And I don't know. The first song I, I, we talk about tonight will be "Old 55," which is on the uh, "On the Border" by the Eagles. And uh, later, when Asylum was, uh, I think, caught up or bought up by Elektra, they turned into a country label, and Emmylou Harris was on there. We've done Emmylou Harris as well. Well, I didn't get that one, so you get two points for that one. <laughs> What else? Okay. <laughs> All right. That didn't I, take I think long. that's it. I'm going to throw out an artist now and you see if you can't figure out the connection. Okay. Jerry Jeff Walker. Uh, they're both men. 
<laughs> that's good, Tony. That's very good. Uh, it's even it's even more remarkable than that. Oh wow! Did he create Dirt, Dirt Band? Uh, did one of their songs? I don't know. The no uh, Jerry Jeff Walker did one of Tom White's songs, "Hardest Saturday Night," and oh, it was right. a regional hit for him. How about this? Is going to be a hard one, so I will forgive both of you for not getting it. Uh, dire Straits. Oh, I know you're not going to get it, so I'm going to go ahead and answer it. It's observational songwriting. Uh, uh, Mark Knopfler and uh, Tom Waits go plop themselves down somewhere and write about what they see, and it turns into a song. Now, uh, Mark Knopfler's not always in a bar when he does it, so there is some difference. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes Mark Knopfler's in a furniture store. um, <laughs> it's it's fun that y'all have missed the most obvious one, but we'll do that one last. Next is Springsteen. Springsteen did uh, Jersey Girl. There's one. Yes, he did. He he did a live version of Jersey Girl that got a lot of radio play. But the one I'm thinking of is both of these guys were kind of forced into making a folk album on their first uh, release. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, there's folk elements. Uh, James, can but... you uh, can you silence Tony? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a bit of a stretch to call this a folk album, but okay. I didn't say it was folk. I said they were both pushed in the folk direction. I wouldn't call uh, Greetings from Greetings Asbury, from Asbury Park, Park, Park a folk album, but that's what uh, they were trying to get him to do. I got you. Okay. Next so, Dylan. I got All right. You. All right. How about Meatloaf? <laughs> this is a very hard one, too. The both actors? That's very close. Yeah. Their persona uh, on stage was supposed to be a character, and they played a character on stage until Meatloaf lost it and smashed his head into a uh, Mack truck. <laughs> uh, finally, the uh, most obvious ones, and both of y'all are about to uh, slap yourself in the forehead. Ricky Lee Jones. They dated. They're dated. That's right. They were in love. When For an extended period, yeah. They, Rainbow Sleeves is a song that she by Tom Waits that she covered. And- The yeah. big difference is uh, his character didn't flow over into real life. I think <laughs> I think he was able to put the brakes on any sort of horrible, horrible, I, destructive behavior. I think that uh, he freaked out when uh, Ricky Lee Jones lived the life that he was pretending to lead. Yeah, I think you're right about that. <laughs> that's a, exactly that's right that's kind of something I I, I want to I don't want to lose sight of as we're talking about this is that word pretend. There's a lot of pretend. Yeah. yeah. And that's fine. If you're <laughs> if you're a damn good songwriter. So now back to me. 
Um, <laughs> Back to you, Doug. Why did you pick this album? <laughs> for those of you who are still listening to us after that long aside uh, detour. Yeah. Well, I, hopefully our fans did better than y'all did. Um, <laughs> I picked this album. It's not Tom Waits' best album. It's an excellent album. Um, but it's the most accessible album. And I don't think you do anybody any favors by trying to get them into uh, swordfish trombones or rain dogs in their first attempt. They, they need some. Uh, it's like when you're surfacing after being deep in the water, you got to do those exercises or you'll get the bends if you come up too fast. So this, and this, is, a gate, this is a gateway album. It's a gateway album. It's a gateway track. album, yeah. It's a good way to say it. Uh, why, why, and I love Tom Waits. And why do I love Tom Waits? Well, uh, I, I've been pretty open about how much I dig good lyrics. And this guy plays with words almost like nobody else. He is all about words. He also writes very attractive tunes and wonderful ballads. Now, he also covers those up with a lot of uh, chimpanzees with gas cans. I was going to say, it's a shame that somebody who writes lyrics like this and tunes like this later in his career covers it up with a bunch of uh, well, yeah, but he, difficult, the, difficult stuff. To it takes to. a while, Tony, but yeah, you can learn to love the other things that he's doing. And, and uh, that's that's precisely why I chose this album. If 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 for those of you uh, who haven't guessed already, uh, I am not or have not been a fan of Tom Waits previously. I don't have anything against him particularly. It's just I've never been attracted to what I've heard before. So this was a bit of a surprise. This album. I'm glad Doug picked it because it was it, it does appear to be at least partially a gateway album for me. This the most CDs I have is are, are probably by Van Morrison. The second most CDs I have are by Miles Davis. The third most CDs I have are by Tom Waits, and because I'm just I, I have there's not much that Tom Waits has done in his whole career that I'm just not I can't I'm always fascinated by it. There's I really can't picture there's not an album by him that I just go ah. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that one. There's always something interesting that Tom Waits is doing, and he's never standing still. Never stands still, and this album is no exception. There is just not a lot of albums like this, especially that came out in what 1973, early 1973. No, it, it definitely has an old soul feel to it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I find I'll agree with that. That that from what I've listened to, there's definitely. You can't get bored digging into this guy's discography, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether or not it's um, for somebody like me, some something that I can sit down and enjoy uh, at least right away, that's questionable, at least for me. But you definitely, I, I'm not going to knock this guy for not being creative or not uh, 
right trying to stretch <clears throat> his wings to a certain extent or challenge the audience you know i think well, there's something could be said something we said for somebody who tries to challenge his listeners as well right yeah he starts off it's like you know a great filmmaker great filmmakers don't want to just keep making the same movie over and over again you know they I, they, I, they challenge themselves and i think that tom waits is probably the uh, the greatest example of that um, that we have, you know, maybe well, Frank Zappa or somebody like that would could be. Uh, yeah, considered. the thing I str- the thing I struggle with though with with Tom Waits, at least in my very shallow, admittedly very shallow, dipping my toes in the water, uh, it's not so it's not so much him, although I think he encourages it. But all the people who talk about him are so full of pretense; it, it's almost off putting to me. Um, mm. You don't you don't get that kind of you don't get that kind of people talking about Zappa in the same way. There's not this pretension around Zappa that, that, that you get mm. when people talk about Tom Waits, not the same kind jam. It's not the same kind of pretension. Uh, I don't know. Man. I, I, I'm I always disagree think with you Zappa people are so proud to be Zappa people and so proud yeah. of all the things he does that, that he does that are uh, funky and non un, unaccessible to uh, lovers of pop stuff. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's just my bias because I I zap is one of those things I can actually sit down and listen to and enjoy. I, I mean, I, um, I remember being in a uh, when I was in college, I took a art appreciation course and we had this guy come in and just he was an avant garde composer and he played some stuff. And then he took questions from the audience and somebody asked him about Frank Zappa and his words were, oh, Frank Zappa's God. And then I held up my hand and I said, well, what do you think about Tom Waits? He goes, yeah, Tom Waits is okay. Yeah, he's pretty good. And well, he's like, I, I, I thought but, uh, you know, Clapton was good. <laughs> you don't. you don't get, I don't, I mean, I, and I'm sure it's out there maybe someplace, but uh, you know, it doesn't take you very hard to dig around for Tom Waits stuff to see something like this. And I'm going to read this, or I'm going to paraphrase this. This person was writing about this album and he says that uh, in, in the Waitsian Oeuvre, or however you say that word. Ooh. This is a this is a strange outlier in terms of accessibility, strength of songwriting, and overall <laughs> level of quality and cohesiveness. So yeah. to that, to, but he's saying that like that's an outlier in not a good way. This guy's a Tom Waits fan, so if that if being if, if being um, overly overall uh, level of quality of cohesiveness, accessible, and strength of songwriting is an outlier. What is that saying about this guy? He's looking for stuff that's difficult. That's that, and that's what I'm talking about. There's a yeah. whole group I, of people I out think there. That guy's I, wrong, though. I think he's wrong. Yeah. But um, what I'm saying is it doesn't take you very long to dig around online to see lots of people who fall in line with that stuff. They like Tom Waits mainly. It's the same reason people like Captain Beefheart because it's inaccessible stuff and it shows you how cool and hip you are. Yeah. And listen, I, again, I don't want to go off on this on this on this road because the album we're talking about tonight is, I think, fantastic in a lot of ways and yeah. an eye opener to me uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so I want to focus on that. But I just think I, it's odd to me that um, that there's such a, there's this kind of level, this aura of pretension around people who listen to Tom Waits. Um, and they would probably tell me that I just don't get it. You know, maybe I don't get it, but. This is, I think Tom Waits to me is just like the, one of the few guys that I don't care. I, I mean, if, if you don't like him or if you do like him, he's one of the few guys where I, I can't really defend him, but I just know that I'm always interested in what he's doing. 
I think that's valid. That's absolutely valid because, again, he's not boring. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's always interesting. Um, Even if I don't, I mean, like I said before we started, I think that had I had I given Tom Waits any time as I was growing up, I probably would have been interested in him just because he's interesting. I don't I can't imagine some of the stuff I've I've heard. I would find enjoyable because it's just not tuneful enough for my ears. But there's a lot. uh, There's a lot. I think you just accidentally summed it up. There is a lot about Tom Waits that is compelling and interesting and not enjoyable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think when you let go of the idea that you're in, you're in a different category of music when you're doing this, you're, you're hearing, uh, this is really, I, I mean, we're talking about after the first seven albums, we're starting to talk about experimental music. We're starting to talk about everything's percussion and we're starting to talk about, um, performance art yeah and and, and it's, that comes it's a lot when he, different that comes from a lot when he met his the now wife kathy right. Brennan. they became very uh simpatico and they uh a lot of stupid english they, come on i mean <laughs> but but a lot of what happened she she became his uh you know cohort or her his partner not just you know romantically but uh artistically and she had a lot to do with the direction that he took come on and he's been an actor uh yeah since the beginning and now he's officially an actor. But, yeah. but real quick, I just want to just touch on that because I I, I think that's all valid. But um, what what I find in, in terms of experimental music and going that route and, and me, maybe not that being my cup of tea. But the thing that is the biggest I'm, I'm going to use this word and it's a heavy handed word. Biggest crime to me with him is what this guy did to his voice. Um over the course of uh, I've heard, I've watched video of him performing the songs on this album and the next album live more recently, and they're unrecognizable. And it just, it breaks my heart to be honest with you because <laughs> his voice is fantastic on this album. It is fantastic. It's got so much character and depth and I don't get why he would think, Oh, I need to really screw this up. Well, I don't but, think it's uh, anymore. I don't think you can talk about his voice. I- I really think you have to talk about his voices. But yeah, but they're they're on this too. There are voices on this album as well, Doug. Yeah. But I mean, we're talking about a vast array of um mule variations. What's he building in there? I'll tell you one thing, he's not building a playhouse for the children. What's he building in there? Uh-huh. Um He's all over the place with these things. And, and I tell you the thing that you don't want to overlook is even on these records, ballads pop in there that are absolutely yeah. irresistible. Yeah. Yeah. He leaves room for anybody that wants to cover his records to do something different. You can take a Tom Waits song and you can do just about anything you want to it, it's going to be really hard to screw it up as hard as you, you, you can try like the Eagles tried 
really hard to screw up uh, old 55, but well, they you, don't, they weren't trying. That's, that's their gift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's obvious that you guys have a history with Tom Waits that I don't have. So I'm just a little curious how, how the two of you kind of got into it. And, uh, uh, I guess I can start with Doug since this is his uh, his pick, and then Jam once he's done. If you kind of lay in where where you came in, sure. it'd be interesting. That's Doug? a penetrating question, Tony, and I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, I heard on the nickel. What becomes of all the little boys? Never say their prayers. Sleeping like a baby on the nickel over there. Which I still consider his best song. And that was it. I I said anybody that can write like that, and the tune's beautiful, but the mm-hmm. the way he writes lyrics, um that was all she wrote as far as I'm concerned, because he doesn't yeah. say anything trite. He says really cool things in very few words. And he paints a picture as he's just exceptional. And uh, that was it. When I heard that yeah. song, I was done. And I went out and bought uh heartache and vine. And then I heard the other songs on that record. And that's kind of a record that straddles. Um, the first part of his career and the next part of his career, uh, it has his best ballads on it, uh, like uh, Ruby's arm, Ruby's arms. As I say to Ruby's arms, although my heart is breaking, I will still If you listen to that and you're not devastated when that's over, uh, <laughs> you're dead. You're like uh, Bruce Willis on The Sixth Sense, walking around not understanding that you're a dead man. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks for uh, spoiling that for me, Doug. <laughs> uh, sorry. Put your children to bed if they haven't seen that. Um, anyway, it's it's a no-brainer once I heard the lyrics that the guy wrote. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jan? Uh, a friend of mine was really into Springsteen and not only bought born in the USA, but also bought all the singles or the 45 singles that came uh, from that album. And uh, he said, Hey, you got to hear this, this one thing you got the, the, the B side of this Bruce Springsteen single from born in the USA. I said, okay. And, and, you know, and uh, it was a live version of Jersey girl. And I could not believe how I was just blown away by it. I go, man, this is just so incredibly good. And then uh, really soon after that, uh, he was on, Tom Waits was on uh, Late Night with David Letterman, and he did On the Nickel with just himself on piano and an upright bass player. And the upright bass player was Bowen the bass. And I just, I was blown away. 
and I, I'm, yeah, sort of the same thing with Doug, what Doug said. I, I went out and got a heart attack and vine. Um, and I just discovered that Tom Waits is just such a great uh, musician and a, a ranger. I mean, and um, he is so good about writing about broken romance. And he's also so good about writing about uh, boyhood. I mean, that's one of the things that like Kentucky Avenue is a great song about boyhood. Mrs. Stone will stab you with a steak knife If you step on a lawn I got a half a pack of lucky strikes, man So come along with me Let's fill our pockets With macadamia nuts and On the nickel, another great song about about boy not, not and, growing up <laughs> yeah <laughs> Stay uh, yeah I, I don't want to grow up you know that the, the the song that ramones covered he's so and i just fell in love with his lyrics and he's one of the first guys that i ever fell in love with both the lyrics and the the music well in case the listeners are wondering i came into tom waits when doug picked this album and <laughs> podcast. which is a good thing uh-huh. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, we we do this to, Good to have fresh ears commenting on this because a lot of fresh ears will be listening to it. Well, we do this to each other and for each other uh, from time to time. And I think I think it's always good. Most for the most part, I think we're able to bring stuff to the table if the other people haven't listened to it, that they appreciate in one way mm-hmm. or another. Well, I think so, that's right. And, and yeah. uh, other than the vast amounts of cash we've made from this project <laughs> I would say that the, uh, the exposure to new music has been the biggest payout yeah uh, we're talking about a middle class character um, both of his parents were teachers and uh, his father was born in Texas which is of course while we're, we're experts. experts on this we're experts topic on this, yeah. they uh he um his parents divorced when he is when he was 10 or 11 years old and that comes up in almost every single interview and i think that's that profoundly affected him it's it sounds to me like everything i've read that he um he struggled with his relationship with his dad right and um dad had an alcohol problem which i think he passed down that weights yeah that's interesting considering the character he kind of Mm -hmm. inhabits right anyway yeah um, he he was born in uh, Pomona. Pomona. That's right, Pomona. So he was, you know, initially he was influenced by Ray Charles, obviously. Uh, James Brown, Wes, Wilson Pickett, Roy Oberson, uh, and Dylan. Well, and then he he became uh, very influenced by the beat writers, which yeah. is also very uh, apparent. But it's and he also, actually I, worked with William S. Burroughs eventually. Well, who didn't though? Um, but but it's also important to note he was also he was a big fan of kind of what, what I guess you'd consider standards writers. I mean, he was a big fan of um, Irving right. Berlin and Gershwin. He liked Bean Crosby and the and reason Blue Valentine kind yeah, of nod to that. Yeah, yeah, and the reason that's important is because at least on this album, there's a definite sort of. I mean, it's it's when it gets in that area it's much more jazzy sort of nightclub-y but yeah. there's a definite kind of aura of that time frame permeating this album yeah that 40s he's, he's 40s. definitely in the wrong period of time yeah um, he's like yeah. a more uh 
the yeah, film noir shows. kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all it's all phone booths, shadows, cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. it's like, like it's you post, call the bartender Mac and you call the women dames. It's post legs are damned. It's post World War II, but um, pre Korean War. It's that that time frame, that late forties, yeah. early fifties time frame that this feels like. You know, and he was also really into the Twilight Zone. That's one of the things that he said he would yeah. sit around and watch on. <laughs> <laughs> which it that really makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're really trying to catch the mood of uh, of these this these early albums, you should go watch one of those um, detective shows. Up, yeah, Mickey the, Spillane. Uh, or, yeah, yeah. The the, the um, they called it hard hard boil. Yeah, uh, and that's a that's a phrase I came across well, researching this. Um, but Jam, you were talking about his his beat influence, which I think is also obviously um, absolutely valid to this conversation. Um, so you want to well, touch yeah. on that a little bit? Well, he was just uh, enamored with when somebody w- compared his songwriting to Jack Kerouac, he was just blown away, and uh, he just that's when he kind of realized that hey, he's got some he's got some talent, and. Um, so he he really just embraced that part of the way that he even recorded later in life was kind of influenced by some of those beat movies. I don't know if you've ever seen like a Jack Kerouac movie or everything or anything, but the, uh, uh, the way that stuff's recorded, it, the, the mic's not right on the, the, the narrator. It's um, it, the, the sounds are, are all different and everything. And that's when his later recordings it, they don't sound like anybody else's recordings. The mics are never just right on the, like the drums might be mic'd with, with one mic. And it, it, I feel like he's very generous with the mics for the drums. I, I think the other big literary figure that, that uh, figures into his, uh, uh, his persona, if you will, is uh, Charles, Charles Bukowski. Bukowski. Yeah. So, uh, he lived for a while. He lived in San Diego and he would commute to LA and play at the Troubadour. And I'm, yeah. I think they were actually folk, like folk nights or whatever. And he would play, he'd play at the Troubadour. He ended up moving to LA eventually, I think in 72, he moved into this kind of this, this neighborhood. Yeah. The called, hotel that was all, uh, had a bunch of the beat writers in that had lived. Tropicana. But, but the Tropicana, he, um, yeah. but he, uh, through the LA weekly, uh, free weekly there he uh he started reading charles bukowski who was um who was uh writing an article called uh called notes of a dirty old man and he was reading that and he was just absolutely floored by this guy mainly because charles bukowski was a californian and he was writing about california low lives and uh and that appealed to tom waits this idea of the, the seedier side of la yeah, so he was he was he was drawn to that, and the neighborhood he lived in was uh, was kind of full of those characters as well. But mm-hmm. um, he, I think, to a certain extent, at least early on, while while the beat, I think I think you're right, the beat writers uh, are are a thread throughout his career. Uh, the kind of shock to the system was reading Charles Bukowski and going, Oh, this is a, this, I want to do what this guy does. Liter, li, literary. I want to do it musically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you probably came across some of his early jobs that were outside of the music industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them was a fireman with the forest service. 
Speaking of beat writers, does that remind you of anyone? Jack Kerouac. You remember in Dharma Bums, he's working as a spotter for the fire service. Mm-hmm. He spends a whole summer uh, living on one of those um, towers by yeah. himself, spotting yeah. for fire. And I, I wonder if there's a connection there. So, uh, interestingly, this guy, this guy, Tom Waits, uh, is this guy, um, was managed by this guy named Herb Cohen, who uh, who managed Linda Ronstadt and Tim Buckley, but he also was the manager of a bunch of Los Angeles oddballs, for lack of a better term, Zappa, uh, Captain Beefheart, the GTOs, the Girls Together Outrageously, which was a group of a group of groupies who Zappa wanted to record. And then, and then Larry Wildman Fisher, if you guys know who that is, he was a, uh, I don't know, homeless is the right word, but he was known for offering these bizarre acapella performances um, along sunset, like the beaches along sunset. And uh, for a dime, he'd sing a song for you. And of course, he managed this guy. So this is a collection of Los Angeles nerdy wells and oddballs that this guy managed. But he also managed Tom Waits, who, um, as as we talked about before we started, Tom Waits was significantly more attracted to that group of individuals than the one than his label mates, who we can talk about yeah. shortly, um, who were a little bit more polished, if you will, than he would have preferred. So he signed to Asylum Records. Asylum was essentially a folk label that was founded by by uh, David Geffen. Uh, interestingly enough, it was the label was founded because they were uh, they were shopping Jackson Brown to Atlantic, and uh, Atlantic wasn't interested in signing Jackson Brown. So they thought these two guys, David Geffen being one of them, thought they would start the label. They were uh, the home of Jackson Brown. They were home of Linda Ronstadt, J.D. Souther, Joni Mitchell, the Eagles. They at one point pilfered Bob Dylan from Columbia. He recorded two albums for him, and then he went back That's to right. Columbia. I forgot about but that. But yeah. they were a, they were essentially a, a folk label, folk sort of country rock label, and all of these people that I just mentioned, with the exception of maybe Dylan and Joni Mitchell, were involved in this. Uh, oh, and, and of course Jackson Brown were involved in this whole sort of Southern California. Well, what is it, Laurel Canyon? Laurel, Laurel Canyon, Canyon sound, stuff. yeah, right which was the exact opposite of what Charles Bukowski was writing about, which is what Tom Waits surprises me. Yeah. It, so it you got Laurel Canyon and the Tropicana hotel. That's, that's the, uh, that's the contrast. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Do we want to start talking about the uh, album? And I guess if we do that, we should start with the players of JM, if you want to play that. Yeah. On. So, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of information about some of the guys that, that played on this. And I, I think that as we go through the songs, I'll talk about some of the individual contributions, but let's, first of all, the producer is a guy by the name of Jerome Yester. Um, and he was a kind of a fixture in the music industry. He played with the new Christy minstrels and he eventually worked with uh, the turtles, <laughs> all people, Pat Boone, yeah, uh, and a bunch of others, but um, kind of his greatest claim to fame is with the Loving Spoonful. He was the piano player on uh, "Do You Believe in Magic." <laughs> Well, 
hear that, you think Tom Waits, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The first thing that comes to your head. Uh, magic. <laughs> so, so the 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 story goes that when they first met, they just immediately became friends. They just both thought that they had kind of you know they uh, just got along really well together, and so they decided one day, well, let's just figure out how we want to do these songs. So they went into Yester's house. Who and he had some sort of recording device, kind of some sort of fancy recording device back then for 1972, and they just started laying out the the tracks and trying to figure out how the how the album would sound. And at that point, Waits was just in like emphatic that they had to have an upright bass player. So Yester uh, was like, okay, where, where the hell am I going to find an, an upright bass player? So they assembled everybody. One of the guys they had assembled for this was a guy named John Sester, Setter, who was the uh, drummer. And he knew a guy by the name of Bill Plummer. Now, some of you guys that are big Rolling Stones fans might recognize that name. Bill Plummer was the upright bass player on three or four songs on uh, the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. Here's a guy that had just played with the Rolling Stones, and now he is playing with Tom Waits, uh, some unknown guy uh, who just happens to be friends with the drummer. John Setter, Cedar, yeah. was the was a member of Spanky and Our Gang and the Turtles. So you've just got this like uh, kind of a hodgepodge of guys that are they're playing on this album. Another uh, kind of an, a sad aside about Jerome Yester, he uh, recently was uh, found guilty of possessing child pornography and uh, was sentenced to go to jail for a few years. I think he might be just about to be released from prison or is actually released from prison, but uh, just in yeah. time to hear this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's a, that's a lovely, lovely, yeah, lovely uh, way story to, to bring everybody down. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> to me, this album seems like an album that was recorded in like some Midwestern city in the winter time um, with snow on the ground and, uh, you know, late at night, they'd just come from a club or something, but that could not be further from the truth. This album was recorded at a, during the day, uh, during the day from yeah. 10 o'clock to five o'clock. That's <laughs> not what Tom Waits wanted to do. That's not what he wanted yeah. to do, but it's at a, yeah. at a place called sunset sound recorders. Yeah. And at the time, it was one of the most sought after studios uh, around. So it was surprising that they, I mean, David Geffen kind of pulled some strings to get them in there. Uh, they had, this is a, who was recording there at the time was Buffalo Springfield, Joni Mitchell. For what Neil it's worth, Young. Buffalo Springfield yeah. is recording yeah. there, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and the doors. So this was Ugh. like a, this, this, this place was just not, like some rinky dink little place that they got, but the only times that they could get in there were, were from 10 to five. And supposedly this, this album was recorded pretty quickly. I think it was like three weeks, according to some of the stuff I read weights and Yester butted heads because Yester really wanted to make this some sort of folky album, like, you know, what asylum was kind of used to. Right, right, right. 
but weights was like, no, we're going to make that. I want to put this into a, 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 pull it into a jazz direction. And I think that you can kind of see that there might've been compromises on, on both sides. Well, I think there's definitely a tension that makes this album interesting because of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't think there's anything on this album. There's a song I dislike immensely, but there's only one to be honest with you. But, uh, but there's nothing on this album that feels out of place. Even the song I don't like, um, and I think that's in that, I think that tension works to a certain extent. I, yeah. You know, the next album is the follow-up album uh, is I think Heart much of Saturday more, Night. Yeah, yeah. It's much more what Tom Waits was gearing towards mm-hmm. with the stand-up bass. And it, look, the stand-up bass, um, I, I, I'm going to say I, this. I don't think I'm he's gonna, ever used an electric bass on I'm gonna, any of his I'm going to say this and it's and probably makes some people angry. But I think using a stand-up bass was as much a part as the aesthetic of having a guy playing the stand-up bass as much as it was the sound he wanted. Because um, Tom Waits had kind of, a, and we've talked about this, the guy had, a, he's kind of a, um, he's an actor and he had yeah. an image and an idea of what he wanted. I mean, the album cover is a perfect example of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that you, have, you can't have that album cover and have a guy playing the electric bass standing right. next to yeah I, 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 it's it's impossible to imagine any of this with the stand of uh, with the electric bass yeah um yeah. and and you know the the difference in quality between the guys that play stand-up bass and your average uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start uh start with the album closing time first song side one song one old 55 As far as I know, this is the only album that isn't about nighttime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this oh, you is, mean the only song? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of Tom Waits being daytime ever. And this isn't really yeah. daytime yet, but at least no. we know daytime's pretty close. <laughs> we, right. we know the sun's about to come up, but uh, I, yeah. if you don't like this song, I don't know what's wrong with you. This is this is just a wonderful song. It's it immediately song. accessible. I mean, it's almost like a hymn, you know, it, uh, there's a very subtle, um, backup vocals that have this, like kind of the ahs that are going on in, in the, in the background and the, but it's, and we get introduced to this quiet piano that he plays yeah. Yeah. without yeah. any extra notes. Right. Um, and, th- and this is of course the song that we've mentioned earlier, the Eagles covered. One of the things that Tom Waits does musically is he, he, um, goes up the scale a lot of people go down the scale when they're they do walk downs tom waits does walk ups and that's makes that's a little bit unusual especially in the in the folk idiom well but, i think that's because he wants to walk up to the bar personally but <laughs> um but uh, the reason i brought the eagles up is i don't think that this i mean this song to a certain extent lends itself to uh, a band i mean a band with better talent but a band of that of that sort of ilk to do it i mean that you could this song has a bit of a of an americana feel oh to yeah it. this guy um this i keep saying this guy tom waits uh you know um is is a very funny guy his interviews yeah. are very funny oh, it's hilarious they're, they're full they're full of uh they're full of things that are sort of half truths 
But one of the things that he said about this song was this is about a guy he knew that was, uh, I guess, had been out all night with a girl and needed to get the girl back home. And so he ended up driving backwards on the freeway. I think there was something wrong with his car or something. <laughs> so he drove backwards on the freeway the entire way home. And that's what inspired this song. I don't know if that's true. That's a great, yeah, great story. Another great great story. Saying, I, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it for a second. There's I think he's uncomfortable with how sentimental this album is. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think I think uh, yeah, yeah. Well. Not a lot of Brits are going to write sentimental songs about their cars, especially ones that were even. This was a 17 year old car at the time. Old 55, uh, old 55. Yeah. Did you guys read what he said about the Eagles version of the song? No. <laughs> he says. Uh, he says. Uh, well, first of all, he's just initially referred to it as just a little antiseptic, but <laughs> a, a year later, in an interview in New Music Express. He said, I don't like the Eagles. They're about as exciting as watching paint dry. Their albums are good for keeping the dust off your turntable. That's about all. <laughs> so uh, later on, he, he mellowed a little bit and said that he, he didn't. He, he, yeah. he kind of was joking. All right. I hope that I don't fall in love with you. Song number two. Well, if you sit down with this old clown, take that frown and break it. All the evening's gone away, I think that we can make it And I hope that I don't fall in love with you Great little finger-picking intro to it. If you listen to it real closely, there's a bunch of harmonics that are being played behind it. I don't know if it's um, being done on the bass because I don't hear the bass coming in until later. I think maybe it's on the guitar, you, but it, you know it, what this song reminds me of? What's that? Guitar wise, you're gonna you're gonna think this is odd, but every time I hear it, about midway through the song, it hits me. It sound, it reminds me of Thirteen by Big Star. I can say that. Huh? Every time I'm like, what is this? Sound? Oh, this sounds like it just has that feel to it. Um, uh, I, know, I know, I know what you're talking about. So, and I, it, the I, meter's definitely the same. Yeah, the meter's uh, so, the same. Yeah. So here's the thing about this song that I find. I mean, you can read all about what people think the song's about. Um, I would like to tell you guys what I think it's about, because I, I I could be wrong, but this is my take on it. Well, I, you're the weights expert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm listening to this, and it sounds to me like this is a guy who sits in the bar every night and and has a problem getting a little liquored up and falling in love with random girls in the bar. Yeah. and. And, and and this idea that he makes up this story about this the guy leaving this woman, which he, I don't think the guy does, but in his mind he does because that's his end. Um, and 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 the reason why it makes him blue to fall in love is because he's never able to fulfill that fantasy. You know, there's every night it's a, it's a different girl, same thing. And I, I don't know if we, I don't, I was, I, was I think it's, a, before, I, I think you're almost exactly, that's almost the exact Well, I'm confused because like that's the most obvious explanation and you're acting like you're way out on a limb. <laughs> well, no, I've just heard other people say that it's, that this is somebody he like that he's interacted with this girl before, um, or that, uh, oh, that really? this girl, that this girl literally, that that's a literal story that this girl's left alone at the bar. And what happens is he just continues to drink until she leaves and i don't think that's what happens at all i think he's he's drinking he's no. never gonna get up he's never gonna get up he's from never his gonna bar. get up. he's just he's looking at her and just going hey wouldn't it be nice to go home with you and I, he doesn't he doesn't ever even talk to her he just i, I want to be perfectly clear that 
in no way can I relate to what he's talking about <laughs> in this uh, song, but there's probably not a lot of single guys that made it uh, a lot of guys that made it to the 56 year of their life as a single guy. And I can remember this one time I went into a bar. One of the greatest things that can happen is when some gorgeous girl walks in the bar and uh, she has a ring on her finger and it's kind of like telling you you're off the hook. You don't have to, <laughs> you, you got an excuse not to take any action. And uh, yeah. when I hear this song, I think, so this girl didn't have a ring on her finger and he's sitting there torn up about the fact that he probably ought to go say something and he, and he can't, I, I think, think he, he wants to, I don't think he does. But he doesn't want to get into that. I think mess. it's just happened. I think it's just happened so many times to him that he just, it's just, a, it's I, the same every night. I don't think, just, I don't think it's, ha- I, see, that's what I mean. So you're saying but, I'm out how of you when you got married, Tony 26. Okay. Disqualified. No, but what I'm saying is, I don't. This character, <laughs> the way I'm, I'm just looking at the lyrics, I don't think he's, I don't think he's ever gone up to any woman and talked to them. I think he sits in the bar and has this imagination. That's what he falls well, in love with. That's, all that's not different, different than what I'm saying. His regret isn't so much that um, that he's regrets not getting up. He doesn't have the ability to do that. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's right. But I think he's, I think he regrets not having the ability and uh, for the three women that are still listening to this podcast i'd like to apologize for the last five minutes so uh i will i will i will take issue with one thing in this song what's that i don't like the choice of drink he he mentioned the stout i think that sounds goofy as hell for this well it's it's one of many goofy rhymes on this album there are some goofy lines there's there's, uh like uh in one of my favorite songs Poetry and poses, proses yeah. that that doesn't work, and um, I bet, I bet yeah. he has trouble with that. And well, uh, I, I think yeah, the, I, the stout sounds like a forced rhyme too. It does. It sounds like a forced rhyme. And this guy, the last thing this guy would be drinking stout. Yeah, I agree you with know? you. This guy's drinking boiler. He'd be, he, yeah, yeah, he's drinking a Pabst. <laughs> I think he's drinking boiler. Well, I think he's drinking so, a Pabst with a shot. There you go. Anyway, all right. Sorry, guys. Anyway, Sorry telling, for anybody we I didn't expect about us all to get in an argument about what's going on in that guy's head. All right. <laughs> Moving on to Virginia Avenue. Walking on down again. This is on my shirt list of something you don't like. No, I, I like, well, it's not my favorite song. Um, I, I'm intrigued by the concept of this guy. It's basically a Mobius strip of a, of a character. This guy, no matter where <laughs> he is, he's doing the same damn thing every night. <laughs> he thinks, oh, I'll just move someplace else and it'll oh, be different. Virginia but Avenue. It, it, ain't, it yeah. ain't the same, you know? I like how it starts off with that bass line that it, on that upright. It, it, it's like a couple of measures or just all it is, is just a, that bass going up and down. And then the piano comes in, never hits the center or it never hits the one. And if you want to hear a song that sounds like where Tom Waits is going to go in the future, this is one of them. 
Well, I have a note. I have a note on here that says it says this. I bet this is the direction he wanted to go. And it, yeah. I could tell that I wouldn't have been a big fan. Yeah. Now, it, it, uh, but it sounds like somebody's he, he's got an ability because he never actually hits. There's very few times where it actually hits on. on the, well, he on doesn't the, resolve it ever, does he? Never resolves it. Right. So it sounds like he's staggering around, and but I that's perfect. That's, that's what that's he does. Perfect, exactly. That's perfect for the song. Perfect. That's he's, why when he's he tripping, it. he's he's stumbling from the uh, bar to the bus station. Yep. And he wants to get on that bus so he can sleep off all the crazy lizards inside his brain. Yeah. But he ends up going to a different town. Is the point? <laughs> he, le- he leaves. He leaves this Virginia Avenue is evidently in Reno. He leaves Reno and ends yeah. up in San Francisco only to find himself in the exact same place. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't matter and, what, the, it doesn't matter what the scene is around him. He's the yeah. same guy. Nothing. And he changed. has a cigarette and yeah. there's, it's all black and white. This whole album's black and white, by the way. Yeah, and then, uh, well, he's maybe uh, a flash uh, of yellow every now and then that's fire. That That's a cigarette. But, um, and no one has cell phones. <laughs> no one has cell phones. And this is the, the trumpet part on this. That it's muted trumpet by, is fun to listen to. It is so this that it is carries it's, it's this the song best. To me, so it's well. the best part of the song. It's yeah. it's um, I mean, I understand what he's going for here. The music is representing the 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 character. Um oh, that's yeah. why that's why it's the way it is. So that's why, while it's not necessarily something i enjoy that much i don't hate it because of that because well, i get that yeah it's um, it's noir jazz but yeah. uh but the trump <laughs> without the trumpet genre. i would probably not like the song as much as i do yeah i i agree with you, but it's played by a guy named delbert bennett and i could not find anything else about this guy like well, what we played with before but it, it's props to I, him man he did a great job on it he did and I, I like what james said about the the tune sounds like someone's stumbling yeah, that's a, that's exactly what it's supposed to sound like. This guy's this guy's drunk, and the tune is drunk. All right, moving on to old shoes and picture postcards. On my first listening, this is a song that grabbed me. Like, oh, okay. I got like, yeah, like this song is immediately surprise. immediately appealing to me. Um, through further listens, there are other songs that I like significantly more. But this was the first song that I went, okay, I, I can I can get into this. Anyway, this is one of my all time favorite Tom Waits songs. Um, it's a, a great kind of country waltz. I mean, I could I could hear this being played by johnny Cash like or robert or kane might sing this song. Yeah, it, sound, yeah, it sounds like an that. asylum song it does sound like an yeah. asylum song um i love this that is chorus. this is a lot of guitar too uh, this, it is yeah the piano yeah. takes a back seat yeah and no, i'm guessing a, that's tom an americana, an americana oh, yeah. song at his uh, heart and his voice is so perfect on this song and then it the is. background vocals that come in on it that that join on the chorus that goodbye so long the road calls me dear um i just um, love it and, and that's done by shep cook the guitar player by the way um it's 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 uh it sounds like it's from texas it it's does. um it, his vocals are are different on this song than they are on most of the other album to me at least 
but they fit it perfectly. They fit it perfectly. This song. There may be oh, yeah. some. Uh, there's a good chance that there's some guys out there that are about to break up with their girlfriend and hit the highway. Uh, <laughs> by no means should you do this. You need this in your. Uh, you need to be ready to play this as you drive out the driveway, <laughs> and probably about twenty times more as you head down the highway. Yeah. Yep. That's a good. I, I love very- this song. Um, I think it's one of the more simple in terms of lyrics and tune on the whole album mm-hmm. and probably in his whole catalog, it'd be hard to find something. Oh, this yeah. There's not a, there's like three chords in the whole song, which is a very and unusual for a just song. Wonderful. Yeah. It's irresistible. And I can't believe it hasn't been covered 700 like, times, but yeah. On so much of the songs on this album, I mean, this album's got the theme of loneliness, obviously permeates it, but yeah. um, on so many other of these songs, it's, it's the woman who has left this guy kind of high and dry as yeah. opposed to this song, which is, this is not an this album. This kind of gives it a, uh, it's this kind is not of an a triumphant album. tune in a way, yeah. because he's been walking away. Yeah, But it's, it's very unusual for that because usually when Tom, Tom Waits writes a lot of I'm leaving you songs, but usually it's because he knows it's, he knows he's pleasant for, for her. her. Yeah. He knows yeah. he's not a good influence. Ruby's uh, this is, would be the best example of that. And if you yeah, listen to that and you don't break down in tears, you're a horrible person. <laughs> that's not really the case in the songs on this no. album. Um, you don't really know necessarily why the woman's left. Um, anyway, I just yeah. thought it was interesting that this one song, it's, it's the guy is the one packing up. Yeah, actually, up. like, yep. And this and this time, it's not because he's a bad person. It's just he's got to be free. Yeah. 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 All right. Next song, number five on side one, Midnight Lullaby. You can burn the midnight oil with me as long as you will. Stare out at the moon upon the windowsill and dream. Yep, more muted trumpets. This is the song I could see being sung at a at a cabaret lounge. This like, reminds me of that, a Hoagie Carmichael song. I yeah, yeah, exactly. This is one of the things about a Tom Waits song. It is so easy, especially a song like this. It's so easy to interpret. Um, and there's people that interpret them better than others. I mean, this is just one of those songs. Like if if you're like Bette Midler or if you're somebody like Ella Fitzgerald or someone, I could see them doing this song and just doing it so well. And I really do like the way that um, Tom Waits does it. And then that hush little baby. I was just going to ask you about that, what you guys think about that closing. I love it. Absolutely love it. Because it's a midnight lullaby. If you, if Bette Midler did this song at a New York club, just herself and a piano player and a trumpet, and you heard that hush little baby don't say a word part at the end of it you you that was worth the price of admission right there all right last song on side 1 martha I'm already, I've already got a tear in my eye. This is my favorite song on the album. 
This well, it's is, hard not to fall in love with this one. This this is a song that hit me in the same way that Graceland hit me. I listened to this album five or six times before I actually paid attention to what the song was about, and then once I did, I it just punched me in the gut. <laughs> it's and the way that it is played, it's played on that old timey piano. I guess it's an old. It's it's definitely not a grand piano. It's it's got like some sort of must be a he never goes or, for a. <laughs> All of his piano is not what a classical pianist would want. Yeah, has, uh, this, the, yeah, the piano, like piano, the piano yeah. on this song isn't like anything else on this album. Um, and he puts know, that down on the pedal, I think, doesn't he? Yeah, he's just got the whole the. Well, it just sounds like it's one of those old, like your grandmother's piano that yeah. she's had forever it and been it, tuned in a while. hadn't been so, tuned in forever and you can't the, the pedals don't work and <laughs> it's just and, everything yeah so this is a song about a guy who uh later in life is lonely and he reaches out to his old girlfriend lover who's married with kids they haven't talked in what 40 years is that what it is yeah it's and, been 40 uh, years or more now and he, and he, and it's, it's, it's impossible that he's 24 He's singing this. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, uh, and his life is a mess and he's trying to figure she's the one that got away. And, uh, and I I think there's a really telling point in the song that the guy, the guy is relaying and he says, I'm essentially, he says, I'm happy you found somebody that makes you feel safe or secure or something. Instead of, instead of he's not, it's like this guy isn't willing to admit that she found somebody that she could love and give her life over right, to right. as much as it's just somebody that she settled for to bring yeah. security because he couldn't provide that to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also love that idea, the concept where he talks about um, saving their sorrows for a rainy day. That's such an yeah. amazing line that, that concept and the, of the strings behind the thing when when he sings when it goes into the chorus those strings come in just in case you weren't crying (laughs) they're not overdone they're so they're almost subtle and and uh they just they they hit some nines and some twos and you're yeah they're just it's it's so fortunate that his voice sounds the way it does because it's yeah for this song but uh it's um i think doing doing the prep for this album is the first time I realized how young he was while he was singing this song. Yeah. That is yeah. possibly inappropriate for someone his age. You know, when I'm old, I read a review that I thought was pretty insightful. It said this song discusses the reality that the person you love the most isn't always the person you should be married to. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. thought that, I thought that was a pretty profound insight now but, in my case i'd like it to be perfectly clear that they are the same person but like Tom Waits' case there's other people that aren't me that might be true i'm interested though if that if he's talking about from the point of view of the narrator or of martha because i think there's a i think the narrator's point of view is that she can't possibly this can't be possibly somebody that she had the same kind of relationship as she had with me and um, and I think that's tied up in that guy's own regret yeah. and remorse. We don't know the answer to that. No, we don't. Yeah, but I, I think that I, yeah, you I have absolutely no idea what she is, what she's thinking on the other end. We have no idea what's going on on the other end. Yeah, and, and yes. it reminds me of you remember the guy on uh, Fargo, uh, the movie Fargo. Yeah, 
that scene that has nothing to do with anything where the guy comes yeah. in and uh, says his wife died, but she really had makes up that whole story. And he's trying to, oh, get yeah. with, oh, yeah. uh, it could be that, or she could be on the other end crying her eyes out too, but we yeah. don't, we don't know. But then there's, he says know. that and he says, Martha, Martha, I love you. Can't you see? Like, yeah, okay. Man. What is that going to do to her? And like, what is it? it is it desperation that he's, He's at he just... booth in the cafe at two in the morning and we're drinking coffee and having pie and we can only hear his side of the conversation right I, now. I, I remember quiet evenings trembling close to you. I have never understood that line that it, it, it does leave me shaken when I hear it. Like, wow, what does that mean? Like you were so screwed up and she was holding you is no, that why she left no. you what does it mean that's an emotional tremble yeah yeah he's he's so he's he's so in love that yeah it's not it's not a literal tremble um just like the idea that they're they're so the the, the concept that they save their sorrows for a rainy day you typically say you don't want to save something sad for a rainy day but his point is there was no sadness. So they put they put all that away. Yeah. Or if there was, they stored it away for when things got really bad. Um, but I, I think I think the power in the song, and I know we can't hear what's going on on the other side, but I think the power in the song is that uh she's perfectly fine. Yeah. And, and likely thing. likely did find like he the just, love of he her just life. screwed her up. Yeah. And he let her go and um and, uh, and he's regretting yeah. it and he's lonely and he and he doesn't know what to yeah. do. Um, it's kind of like when uh, that scene we're talking about another movie that scene and when Harry met Sally where Sally's yelling at Harry about you, uh, New Year's you can't just because you're lonely on New Year's doesn't mean you can just show up and this is all going to be okay um, that's what this guy's going through he's sitting there and he's he's just he's had he's had enough and yeah. he's got this moment he's got to call her and see if there's anything there probably knowing full well it's a lost cause but um Anyway, exactly. it's a it's a beautiful song. It's so damn sad. Yeah, um, it'll make you what jam? Oh, uh, make you boohoo. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm almost boohooing just thinking about it. It does have the uh, most I, awkward I, lyric on the album, though, which I I regret. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. It's not as bad as the stuff. You you said yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Poetry and proses. I don't. Think I thought that's bad. I think that's a fine. That's a, that's a, that's a fine. That's a fine line. Do you think it's better that what the one that sticks out to me is the only thing that was important then was that I was a man. Totally. Ladies and gentlemen, we would love to hear from you on this issue. Yeah. If you would like to uh, uh, <laughs> write in and tell me that I'm right, it's uh tapping vinyl. So um, one of the things. Com. And if you yeah. want to say James, right, you need to call uh, right in to gfhs seven 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 five nine three dot com. So one the last thing I want to say about this is this this song has been covered by a lot of people. Um, I know that Tim Buckley was one of them, who is also in an asylum, right? Uh, and managed by the same guy, same and guy. produced by the same guy. Yeah, and Bette Midler, and in, in fact, I think that because of this song, Bette Midler and Tom Waits kind of began a uh, little bit. Of a Liaison. romantic relationship, yeah. That's but hard can you to met, think of a girl singing this one. I know. I can't imagine. Like, why on earth? But, but maybe she, she called, did it on Saturday. She did it on Saturday Night Live. I um, I'll be honest with you. 
after all I've said about Tom Waits before we started talking about this album, I can't imagine anybody else singing this song and doing it justice. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. This song is this song is uh this song was an a, just a shocker to me. I remember the first time I ever heard this song, it was like a cold water being dunked on my head. I, was, no. Well, I can't think of anybody that has the vagabond helpless voice necessary. He Tom Waits has ruined it for me for anybody else covering the song. I can't imagine I can't imagine hearing somebody else do this and me thinking, oh, oh. just even the, the even the arrangements, even the way that the piano sounds yeah. on it. No, you just it's, can't. It's, anybody else is not. There's just not going to. It's an unbelievable song. It's an unbelievable song. We don't get too far away from... uh... Um, All right, so this song is called Rosie, first song, side two. My my first note here on this song is and side one and so as side one and so side two begins. Maybe not as it's got a little old. Beat. A lot of questions for Rosie on this song. Um, <laughs> it's it's got it's got a pretty amazing line in it um, that apricot tips in an indigo sky. That's a pretty. I love that line. And it's, it's a fantastic. That's line. such a that's such a Tom Waits line. It is um, a total Tom Waits line. I love that pedal still. That oh, it's, yeah, I was just say, it's, 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 uh, it's so perfect. It is. It's this. perfect. It's perfect. Um, is a, and the, yeah, the, the drummer is the backup singer on this. And again, another song about a woman leaving. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, that, that I love that, that image of all that she's left him is a melody, you yeah. know, because we've been uh, there. We've all been there before. Right. Yeah. Well, not me. I've only loved one woman in my whole life. A girl leaves, and 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 there's Uh just what's left is the song or songs or music songs that you know about. Yeah. Yeah. There's only thing that there's only memories, and the the thing that is probably the greatest memory of any song or or anybody that you've ever loved is is a song. You know. This this is such a New York song, and it's not a New York song, which. Yeah, you got the guy in the cell blowing his horn. I mean, I just see a guy out there on the yeah. fire escape in New York City in those crowded uh, homes. Yeah. I, but I, I it's think, almost I like uh, Moon River by... Uh, yeah, I, I think you're missing the point, though, Doug. I think this is not a New York song. This is that underbelly of L.A. that he's trying to represent that so many people don't think about. But all those noir films from the 40s and the 50s all take place in Los Angeles. They're not New yeah. York. They're not well, New York movies, um, with yeah. these rare exception. It's my <laughs> favorite town I've ever been to in my whole life. And that includes places in Texas where you only can get a chimichanga after nine to eat <laughs> at the uh, Allsup's. I, I love Rosie. It's it's I, so, I, it, I, it's, I, it's a nice exit ramp from uh, Martha because it's not as heavy. No, it's not. No. I was going to say if it weren't for Martha, it would be, but. It's uh, you're right. That's a perfect summation. It's kind of it moves you into now. I can't say it moves you into something pleasant, uh, but we'll get there. Movie, next. Yeah, it is less depressing. Well, so. the next song's not too heavy. The next song's not okay. Gonna, let's, yeah. let's talk. I'm so about, glad that this song didn't let's talk come about, after Martha. Let's talk about the next quote song. This is quote. I hates the most. I hate the song. What's the song? I will freely admit it. Lonely. 
lonely. Uh, as if you didn't know, the lyrics are lonely, 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 lonely. And this song, I don't, I don't get it. You guys will have to explain to me why this is worth listening to. Uh, if this song had been left off the album, I would have been okay with that. This is definitely the weakest song on the album. I, I think he was just, it's just like a damn pity party. Very sparse. Even though the name of the song is lonely, it's too sparse. There's, <laughs> um, and then just talking about lonely face, lonely, whatever the least talking about. It, it's just, it, it's almost silly. And it does sound lonely. So it's got that going for it. I tell you, yeah. I, I disagree. I, uh, I think um, this song tortures you. It does and torture you. <laughs> I tell you what it does is he sings lonely, lonely, lonely eyes, lonely face, lonely, lonely in your place. And then he goes into that minor and he promises you this compelling tune. And it only lasts for two lines. And then he's back to lonely. And he does that over and over again and i did notice that yeah i i see what I you're just, saying I, it's for me it is it's, that, it's, it's dramatic that, that minor and he comes up with that beautiful beautiful heart-wrenching uh four measures or so and he doesn't continue with it i just don't know <laughs> i'm begging him i'll say all right let's say that other thing was the intro and now we're into this um I'm, okay, I, I can kind of see where he's think, going with this. I think everyone that listens to this album is not going to like this song. And it took me years and years before well, I, I appreciated I, I, it. I did want I did want you guys to explain it to me because I uh we've said this before in other episodes. I feel like this is why the skip button was created. But I but, still love you. You do think lonely, lonely. Oh, sorry, I thought you were professing your love for me. <laughs> uh i look well, I, so much. <laughs> I i get i get what he's trying to do here i just don't find it very pleasant maybe that's the point um but i don't get i don't get sitting listening listen martha makes you feel miserable but in a way that's uh i don't know uh it's a you, get the, you get into the guy's head because you can there's a story there and you right. can kind of somewhat relate to it. And this is just more like, this makes you feel miserable just because it's, this a is like a poem. Song. Yeah. It's just like a, a and a, I don't, I don't mean pity party poem. Like I don't bad mean poetry. Miserable sounding as in it's sounds awful. I mean, it's miserable sounding because it's just, sounds full this is a song full of misery <laughs> right but I, the thing that, that doug said earlier what it does sound like there is going to be a point where hey i'm gonna love you i'm gonna do oh wait no well no, again, i just do. don't get it uh, i'm not yeah. sophisticated enough to understand why this song is worth listening to so maybe i'll hit that maybe i'll grow up one day doug well it's not one of his more covered songs let's put it that way i would love this still that tune that he's about to go into and turn it into a whole song yeah to the next song <laughs> the ice cream man <laughs> hey Doug you want to explain to us what this song's about <laughs> <laughs> I don't it, um is there a is there a depressing song about the ice cream man I mean, think about all well, the songs. It depends on that, if you're if you're this guy if you're this woman's husband. It's just a depressing <laughs> song. <laughs> Sometimes uh, 
I, I think we all can recall the drumstick uh, ice cream. Um, <laughs> you know what this is? A little too much excitement uh, about ice cream. So there's this song in Sunday. Uh, the, the, he he uh, he he gets going a little bit here. We get some drums moving a little faster, and we get some some interesting guitars playing. Well, I I I am I absolutely adore the piano intro to this song. Oh yeah, I think it's incredible. I'm a little disappointed it didn't <laughs> go in a different direction, but it's fine. Um, this is a to me this is a novelty song. I mean, it's oh, a yeah. little it's, it's a little, little bit more, that way. more than that because yeah. of who's doing it. But and it, it reminds it, me of it, his a song, ice cream truck sounds. Well, there's yeah. a song by Roy Lee Brown in the musical Brownies. Just to throw out a Texas Western swing. Oh. Um, and they had a song uh, called The Ice Man, and uh, it had lines like, any ice today, lady? It's nice today, lady. How about a little peace today? You know, things like that. That was That's what this song is. It's a bunch, bunch of double entendres about the ice cream man. Uh, it also reminded me of the song, the Van Halen song, Ice Cream Man, yep, which is different cream, lyrics, yeah. but the same sort of idea, you know? Yeah. The, yep. the ice cream man so, representing something else. Guaranteed. I always, always had the ice cream guys. I held them as such innocent people out there. Um, <laughs> that's not <laughs> how it is. I want to leave them with your wife. It's, it's a jaunty one. Um, all right. Moving right along since we don't, Doug doesn't want to dwell on the lyrics. Uh, we'll move on highly, to highly offensive. Uh, we <laughs> move on to the next song. Little trip to heaven. On the wings of your love. Thanking my lucky stars that I found you when I see your constellation. Honey, you're my inspiration, and it's you. Oh man, what a good there is song. No song that is in the wrong decade more than this one. That it is well, this true. is uh, it, there's no jilted lover in this song. This is a positive song. It is. It's another torch song. The trumpet is fantastic on this, yep. song. Mm-hmm. and I it think it's even song. more so because the piano is so minimalist on it. You know, I mean, but the whole song is pretty. It, it sounds so full, but all it is is uh, bass, piano, uh, trumpet, and vocals. I mean, it's, that's a pretty standard yep. cabaret setup. Uh, it sounds so much full, though. It's so much fuller. And it ends with Shuby, <laughs> Shuby do ba ba da. Shuby do wa ba wa. I don't think we've covered any albums that have a Shuby do ba ba da. That's what you do in New York. This is a uh, very attractive song and i'm i'm surprised it's not a standard with all of those uh i can't either yeah those tony bennett uh type singers the next song grapefruit moon this was a song that david geffen heard tom waits performing and decided that he needed to sign this guy to his fledgling label the grapefruit moon. one star shining Um, this is one of my favorite Tom Waits. What's a wonderful song. song. Wait till you hear so Southside good. sing it. I know. In fact, <laughs> I get him confused 
uh, this I was listening to it today going, okay, when's all the horns? Oh, wait, no, this is the Tom Waits version. I think I think it's I love the title of the song, mainly because it's not an image you think of when you think of the moon. Um, and what is a grapefruit? What's the what's the overwhelming uh, flavor profile of a grapefruit? It's bitter, right? Grapefruits are bitter, bitter. sweet, yeah. And there's a bitterness, a bitter sweetness to this song. I think it's a perfect. It's a perfect. I mean, if you outside of the song, have you ever heard anyone say, "Oh, look, it's a grapefruit moon"? Nope. Yeah, never I think, have. I think it's a fantastic image. If I wrote this song, I would be extremely cocky. I know I tell you what I can tell, and I have no reason to say this except this is a song that could only be written on the piano. No guitar player wrote this song. Right. Yeah, you're right. right. This is one of the few songs that just leaves me. I have absolutely no idea what to say about it. It is just one of my favorite songs. Well, he's got a, a lilt in his voice. It's a little optimistic on his tune. But at the same time, it's uh, it's so sweet. It, it almost makes you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but it's like a um, you could play it at a wedding. But why would you? it's it's a wonderful song it's it's just so wonderful it's it's a song that i like but it's not a song that i'm crazy about emotionally but when i look at it and i i say this is the highest song craft on the album if Um, if you're a uh, anywhere close to a cabaret singer or something like that with a big voice this is a song you'd want to grab off this album and perform wonderful um, tune and it's just it starts off with just weights singing and that piano and bass and then it just and then you have that violin and the piano oh, playing God. together at the end it's just yeah. perfect yeah the per- i don't know who gets credit probably the producer but this song never gets overbearing with instrument Mm-mm. there's not never too many layers or too much noise and i think that that's one of the things you can say about this whole album is that never nothing's ever override. Yeah, but I, I mean, album. you got Tom Waits wanting this to be a piano and upright bass album. I don't think it was ever in the in the stars that this was going to be a, a heavy yeah. instrumental. Maybe like, he gets credit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's the sparse. Well, he's eyes. Yeah, comes he's, from him. One more. We're going to move on to the to uh, closing time. The title track. about this one one more for posterity the first time i heard this album and this song came on i was just overwhelmed um just even hearing that yeah let's just let's just do this one for for posterity and the thing i read about this week was this was the only song that was recorded totally live and uh yester described it the producer described it as the most magical session he'd ever been involved with it had different players. It was Tom Waits playing the um, piano, but it had a different bass player and it had a different um, trumpet player. And, and we have that uh, muted trumpet again. Uh, yeah. I, 
I, I would normally not think an instrumental is the way to end an album, but it's perfect for this album. Tom Waits is just vamping on that um, major seven chord. And um, and then the, the, that trumpet starts coming in and the, and the bass is hanging on that. To, to um, me, uh, this could be the second morning song on the album because I can imagine our hero in our, uh, our black and white film waking up, stepping outside, lighting a cigarette, and walking <laughs> into the sunrise Yeah, to, to this song. And uh, he knows he's done the right thing. He's no, he knows he's paid a price for it, but he feels good about it. Um, I think <laughs> it's an optimistic song. Jerry Yester lost on this one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's it's a wonderful loss. But it is, yeah. It's a I great can't, way I to cannot believe that this isn't in a film. It it sounds <laughs> yeah, it sounds exactly like film. the end of a film. Yeah. One thing that I find extremely odd about this album is that it charted on the Irish uh album charts. <laughs> Uh, in 2000 in not in, in, two, two, in year, the two, year 2000 I, yeah. I tried to find out why that happened no idea other than there was some other band that had an album out called Closing Time but I don't think I'd had any any I, I oh, don't know yeah. that's why we're so popular in Canada yeah well there you go uh, <laughs> thank you Randy Bachman um, no I, I don't I don't uh, I don't get it um, I think it's I think it's fantastic I mean it, it charted it hit tw- number 29 it's just weird and i can't find i couldn't find anything about why that happened if somebody knows let us know because it's fascinating we want to add i i will like i would like to say that i did dive a little bit into the albums that immediately followed this one um and i have to say that i really 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 liked the heart of saturday night a lot I that's was, what um, that's that's my second favorite album by him i liked it a lot um i think i think um it's it i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna look into him a little bit more but it's it's gonna be a struggle for me not to not to be able i'm gonna have trouble getting over the cookie monster voice all right so um this is the point in the podcast where we talk about our ratings or reviews of the album we give a rating on just if we were a critic listening to it in terms of his musicality lyrics and things of that nature um and then we uh give a second rating as to our likelihood of of us personally listening to it um, again. So I'm going to start since I have the least amount of history with this artist and this album. Um, and I'll start and just say that this was, this album was a surprise to me in a whole lot of ways. Um, the song Martha was a revelation that that song is going to stick with me for a very long time. Um, I, I don't know if it's a song that I'm going to think, Oh, I'm in the mood to hear it. Um, but maybe, maybe I will be, it's just a fan. It's just a fantastic song. It kind of blew the top of my head off. So, uh, my critic review is I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a four or five. Um, I think that, uh, it's was really kind of unlike anything that was, that was coming out at the time, 1973, I think it would have stood out and stood out in a good way. I think it would have surprised a lot of people who were not expecting something like this, especially from this label. Um, and, um, I think the musicianship on it is, you know, it's sparse, but it's, it's, it's very good. The lyrics on it are fantastic. The vocals on it. I really, I can't believe I'm saying this about a Tom Waits album, but the vocals are, are great. Um, so 
Uh, and then in terms of my, whether I'll listen to it again, uh, you know, there are a couple of songs that I don't get, um, but I will definitely listen to this album again. I appreciate Doug bringing this to my attention. Um, I'm really a year ago. If somebody had told me I'd be talking positively about a Tom Waits album, I would have called him a liar. So it's a, it's a little surprising. I give it a four. I'll, I'll definitely listen to this album again. This will be in my rotation. So, all right, Jam, we'll go to you since Doug, this is Doug's pick. We'll go to him last. As a cold, hard critic, I'm going to give it a 4.0. Um, that's not because I think there's anything necessarily wrong with it. I just think that this was not Tom Waits at the the height of his um, his songwriting ability. Um, because I think the next album is is better not not much better but i i think it's a a better album personally i'm going to give it a four or five um and i can't really there's nothing i can really necessarily knock about it it's just that again the the album there's two albums that came after this that i just think are almost flawless and that i listen to more often all right, Doug, what say you? I'm going to do the uh, cold-hearted critic. I think this album gets a 4-6. A I'm surprised it was made. Um, I'm glad it was made in time to capture Tom Waits at this young age when he's not as uh, cynical or... I, I don't even know if that's the right word, but... Um, he shies away from the, the sentimental things that make this such a great album. And, and I'm thankful that it was made in time as personally, I'd give it a, a four, eight. I've, th- there's never going to be a time where I won't listen to this album. And uh, one of the gratifying things in my life is all the people I've recommended this album to who have uh, embraced it and learned to love it. Uh, uh, I will be listening to this album for the rest of my life. I, it, there's just songs I can't give up. I don't think it's his best album, but it's not very far from his best album. So one of the things you've talked about on a lot of these episodes is authenticity. So I'm curious about your love of Tom Waits because he is embodying a character. Um, and uh, more, almost more than anybody we've talked about is... Um, and I don't mean this to sound negative. It's just the term to describe it. He's inauthentic in the sense that he is not necessarily who he's. So I'm just curious how that fits in with your, your sort of go ahead. Well, no, I I know exactly what you're talking about because he plays a character. And if you watch him interviewed, if you watch his early interviews, it's quite clear that he's uncomfortable in his own skin and he's playing a character. And then if you watch his interviews in the last 10 years where he doesn't care anymore (laughs) and he's a dad and all of that, you can tell the difference. Um, I think that he uses that in order to confess. Uh, I understand someone dressing up as a character in order to confess confess what they're feeling and thinking and i think that's what he has to do okay so i don't think it's inauthentic what he's saying i think 
his presentation is inauthentic because of uh, yeah his insecurity. Well, I, I, that's a good that's a good clarification. And again, when I use the word inauthentic, I don't mean that as an insult to what he's doing. It's just well, it's so different, and it's so different from like Chrissy Hine, you know, where everything that comes out, she is, she is hundred percent authentic, but yeah. And uh, well, maybe I, even Springsteen were, um, I guess, I guess you could make, you could make a similar argument to Dylan early on. Yeah. He was, yeah. he was, he was, I, I mean, mean, we I talked about it's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. We talked he about how he, a freight train and yeah. I mean, this is whole and all that. Yeah. But then you got uh, like Van Morrison, who just would rather have his teeth pulled and actually have to to talk to someone. It's like, why, why are you asking me that question? That's just a stupid yeah, Well, Van Morrison was born with an inability to be inauthentic. Yeah. Well, I think Shane McGowan is also that way. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. Yeah. Well, Doug, I believe you've got a recommendation for us tonight. That's right. I have what is called a, an irresistible recommendation. That is when one of your favorite singers and one of your favorite songwriters collaborate. And uh, the album that I'm going to recommend is Southside Johnny with La Bamba's big band playing Grapefruit Moon. That's the name of the album. Songs of Tom Waits. I got some warnings out there. Uh, some Tom Waits fans who consider themselves purist and would say, that's not how it's supposed to be done. Don't even waste your time. But if you're ready to hear somebody uh, take his songs and do some things that they can do that you might not even know they can do, uh, Southside Johnny's got the voice for it, and uh, the La Bama Big Band puts a bunch of juice behind it. New coat of paint on this lonesome old town. Set them up. And Tom Waits sings along on one of the numbers, and it's really fantastic. Uh, there's, there's no way to believe Tom Waits is upset about what happened on this record. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and check out Grapefruit Moon, The Songs of Tom Waits by Southside Johnny with La Bamba's Big Band. Uh, if you don't like big band music, I'm sorry for you. And I'll just go ahead and warn you, you won't like this. <laughs> these are great, great Tom Waits tunes with a great singer and a really, really uh, snappy band uh, giving them some energy. And that's it for tonight's show. Be sure and look us up on our Facebook group or on Instagram at Tapping Vinyl. And be sure and look us up on our website at tappingvinyl.com. There's all sorts of good stuff up there related to uh, podcasts we've done in, in the past. Next week, we'll be looking at an album by one of the biggest bands of the 80s. U2, their 1984 album, The Unforgettable Fire. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony 
Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And reminding you, this one's for posterity. Pomala, California. Pom- I put an L in there. Sorry, California. Pomona. Pomona. Pom- I, I, Pomala is that thing that, that where Blanche had the lady soak in her hand in Pomala dish soap because it was so softening or something like that. If anybody anybody under 50 hasn't seen that commercial. We'll probably have to post that, Tony. Okay, I'll post a pal- an old Pomala commercial. Yeah, with was Blanche? it Blanche? You're it soaking Blanche in it. Blanche. Yeah, you're soaking in it. It's like every afternoon when you're watching Star Trek, that would come on. I'm saying, why are they showing us there in Star Trek? Or Gilligan's Island. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. We'll have to ask him when he calls in. Most of these (laughs) artists, most of these artists call in to uh, thank us for our uh, podcast. For that they get a little bump in. Sometimes their uh, their girlfriends call in to tell us we're all wrong. That uh, there's actually truth in that that last <laughs> statement. Um, anyway.